Amen and amen. Only Jesus, the only name to remember. Well, I'm making progress. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, I feel like a new man with a a boot on my foot instead of a cast, but to thank you for your patience as we continue to maneuver through this journey, and I look forward to the day when I can walk normal again, which is, seems closer now than what it was a few weeks ago. We've been looking at uh, the, the Gospel of John uh, for some time this year, and uh, been going through uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and, it, and just uh, enjoying learning more about who Jesus is. And, of course, the subtitle is Seeing the Savior in a Selfie World because we're all very self-centered, very self-oriented in all things uh, from the garden all the way to the present time. That's the way the world has been, and so we are to see the Savior. And today we're looking, as we've gone each week, we've looked at a different aspect of the Savior. Today we're looking at the radical king. And we think about this idea of radical, and as I was pondering the idea of radical, different people have different ideas of what radical is. For some people, it's radical for them to climb a mountain, uh, Mount Everest or something. For others, it's to, to learn how to be a pilot and to fly a plane by themselves, or whatever. Maybe there's different radical things that people do. Uh, I haven't done anything too radical in a while. Having this surgery was kind of radical, but the, probably the most radical thing that's happened in my household over the past six weeks was I grew a beard. That's pretty radical for me because I've never had a beard ever. Uh, there was one time for about a, a month where we were doing something for Easter that I grew a beard. But what I found in having this beard is that there's a lot of people who got comments about it. I, can't, I know you can't imagine that, but everybody's got an opinion about the pastor having a beard. And so we're going to do something a little radical for the next month as well as uh, we're going to use this beard to kind of try to help raise some funds for the children's wing. Uh, we need some uh, funds for the children's wing to renovate, and uh, God's, as we said, God's doing some amazing things uh, in our children's ministry. Would you say amen to that? And uh, we're so grateful for that, and there's a, there's a wing over there that uh, is, needs to be renovated, and we ran into some hiccups. We're grateful for people who've already given, uh, but ran into some hiccups, so we need some more funds uh, to come in. And so in this process, my, my wife, let me just say this, my wife and my daughters love my beard. And when, I, when it first started, it, it started because, you probably heard this already, because uh, when I first was on crutches, I just couldn't stand at the sink and, you know, and shave and what have you, and so I just let it go. And uh, within those two weeks, my girls said, Dad don't shave. Please keep it. Please keep it. And then over the past uh, six weeks, Angie has said, I like it. <laughs> and I said, oh, have mercy. Uh, you know, so, and I am neither here nor there about it, all right? So what we're going to do is you, you probably saw in the bulletin that there are things that need to be purchased for the renovations. You can do that. You see some things have been uh, marked off, but there are other things that need to be done as well, you know, like a sink and a microwave, different things. If you want to purchase one of those, you know, write a check out for, to meet the need of that. And on the check, on the memo line, I'll put a sticky note on it and say one of two things, keep it or shave it, all right? And we're going we're gonna to see who wins. We'll do this for a month, all right? And so we're going to, at the end of September, on the fourth Sunday of September, that'll be the last Sunday for, to collect for purposes of the beard, but we're going to begin today. And uh, you help me decide whether I'm going to keep this thing or shave it. Uh, and also, there's a couple of ground rules that you need to know. Number one, this is only for fun, all right? Number one ground rule. Okay, y'all got it, amen? Only for fun. Number two, 
Uh, you cannot take from your tithe or the Virginia, Vision Virginia State Missions offering, which is right around the corner, to do this. Uh, three, as I, said, as I said, the fourth Sunday of September will be the last Sunday. We'll announce it on the fifth Sunday, you know, who, who won, whether keep it or shave it. And then whether the results are to keep it or to shave it, here's the last rule. I still get to decide how long that I'm going to keep it if you say keep it or how long before I grow it again if you say shave it, okay? That's a pretty good deal, I think. Uh, so anyway, it's just for fun. Remember, it's just for fun in order to help the children's wing renovations. Everybody good with that? Amen? All right, good. Well, we're going to have fun with it, but we're thinking about something radical. And for me, that's, that's kind of radical for me to even have this stuff on my face right now. But uh, like I said, my girls, my wife loves it. But when we think about radical and we think about Jesus, there, some radical things have been said about Jesus in the Gospel of John, such as he's the eternal word, such as he is the I am which is the name for God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin uh, of the world. We also seen Jesus do some pretty radical things, doing some pretty radical things in the Gospel of John too, like he turned water into wine. He, he turned over the tables in the temple where he walks on the water and he raises a man who had been dead for four days. Now, those are pretty radical things that Jesus does. But what we know as we're getting in now to the, the latter part of the Gospel of John is that there are still some more radical things that are coming that pertain to Jesus. Amen? We know that, that it's coming. But today we want to see more of why he is the radical king and how, as the radical king, it should cause us to live the radical life of following him. And so we're going to finish out chapter 13 today, starting at verse 18 of the Gospel of John. John 13, verse 18 through 38. Finish out the chapter, and we want to see here the radical king. And so, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you're able, would you please stand? And I'm going to try to stand too today as I read the passage for us. So let's pray. And let me read this for you before we pray. It says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. That he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit, and he testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. And there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, Simon Peter, there mentioned, motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. And then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he who, to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. And having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. And when they'd gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. 
And so now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter said, we'll stop. No, let me finish out. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for the power of it. And we pray that you take the word now and speak to us to guide us and direct us in it. Lord, as we have gathered here, we want to hear from you. Lord, we don't want it just to be another day. We want it to be a day where you have spoken, where you have guided us and directed us. Lord, may we be challenged. May we be changed by your power. May we be changed by your spirit. And Lord, may you have your way in every heart and every life, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, uh, and you see the outline for today's message in your bulletin. And we're going to see some things about Jesus, who is the radical king. And the first thing that we want to see here is we want to see a radical win. A radical win. Now, if you remember, last week we looked at how Jesus knows all these things. And they're in the upper room. You remember the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciple. And Jesus knows who he is. We talked about how he knows that he is the Messiah, that he is from eternity, that he is God, and that he knows who they are. All the people who are in this room, he knows everything about them, that he is very much aware as to who they are and what they have done and the conversations that they had and what was in their heart. And we're going to see more of that today, the scene at the table here, where we see that Jesus has, has just washed the feet of every one of those disciples. And remember that Judas is one of those as well, as well as all these disciples who are going to run, who are going to deny the Lord, and of course Judas will betray him. And so he's just told them about washing each other's feet. He's given them the example about what they're supposed to do. And so you remember that he says to them, and he's showing this example of how they're to wash each other's feet, that that tells us that we're to lower, that they're to lower, lower themselves, to forget themselves, and putting others above themselves and blessed he says blessed are you if you do this blessed are you if you do this and then we come to verse 18 and Jesus goes further and he says I do not speak concerning all of you I know whom I have chosen but that the scripture may be fulfilled he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me so Jesus is saying, as he's sitting around this table, just telling them about uh, what they're supposed to do and how they're to lower themselves and showing them through the, the washing of the feet, he's saying something's about to take place in the fulfillment of Scripture. And he uses Psalm 41, and, and as a matter of fact, it's Psalm 41, verse 9, that he uses. And we find that as we look at that verse of Scripture, Psalm 41, 9, that Jesus quotes in fulfillment of Scripture, that it's a very appropriate for Jesus to use this because we know what's going to happen. But the psalm describes in Psalm 41.9 how one of David's friends has turned against him. So let's look at that verse, Psalm 41.9, that says this. Even my own familiar or close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. So in, in, in the, as David writes this, Psalm 41, his friend Ahithophel is the one who is his close friend whom he had trusted, who lifted his heel against him, who betrayed him. And then Jesus says in verse 19, Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, when the heel is lifted against me, that you may believe that I am he. 
And so Jesus then gets even more blunt with the disciples and tells them exactly what's going to take place. We pick up in verse 21. It tells us that Jesus, when he had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. His spirit was troubled, and he testified, and he said, Most assuredly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Now, these are his closest disciples sitting around the table, and he's saying to them, One of you... Truly, truly, verily, verily, most assuredly, one of you is going to betray me. And, of course, the disciples in there looking at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. The Bible says, verse 23, there was, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And we believe that that was John, the writer of the gospel. And Simon Peter therefore motioned him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. And then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus said, it's he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And afterward, the piece of bread, uh, Simon then entered him. And Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And so Jesus has just said that there's going to be somebody here in fulfillment of Scripture who's going to lift up his heel against me, which is like a horse kick. I don't know if you've ever been kicked by a horse, but I understand it's not very pleasant. And so that's kind of what he's talking about here, this kind of kick to him. And so it's a betrayal that he knows is going to take place in him. And so he's telling them that, that he is in the midst of us. He's sitting here around the table. They want to know who is it. He says, the one I dipped the bread with, he gives it to Judas. And then he says to Judas, what you do, do quickly. But wait a minute, Pastor. What you're saying here is that this is a radical win. And that sounds like anything but a win. That certainly doesn't sound like a win to me. It's a sad story of betrayal. And indeed it is. But also, we need to see it for what it is. And there are pieces here that we may have overlooked that we need to look at again. We need to remember that Jesus knows it all. Amen? Right? Amen? Jesus knows everything that's going on. And he knew that he would be betrayed and he knew who would betray him. And he knows how this is going to end. He knows what's going to take place. And he knows also that, this is, that what is happening here is not just a supper, but this is a battle that is taking place. That it is a battle that Jesus is in with spiritual forces. He knows that this is a battle like none other, that this is not a little feud like the Hatfields and the McCoys. This is not a little small scuffle, but rather what is happening is a cosmic battle that has been raging for millennia. All the good things that God had created for man to enjoy had been cursed by sin as Adam and Eve had been enticed by the devil. And then the consequences that which took place in the garden were immediate and they were severe. You remember that because of what took place there, because of the sin that happened, that death came. And everything was plagued by sin and continues to be so. But God promised in the garden that one day there would be a deliverer who would come and that he would that the devil would be crushed and he would be defeated. The Lord promised that in the garden. And this day is about to take place right here. And so we look in verse 27 again, and what we find there, that it says, After the piece of bread, when Jesus had dipped the bread and given it to Judas, that Satan entered him, and then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now I want you to just think about that for just a second. That Jesus knows everything that's taking place. He knows what's happened. He knows that Satan has entered into Judas. And he says to Judas, what you do, do quickly. Let me tell you what's happening there. 
Jesus is squaring off with the devil. Jesus is squaring off with the devil. What he's saying is, go ahead, Satan. Go ahead, Judas. I know what's going to happen. And he is saying, let's move forward with the plan of God where, Satan, you will ultimately be defeated. Amen? That's what he's doing. He's squaring off with him. Jesus has committed himself to follow through on what he came to do. He knows what he's going to do. He knows what Judas is going to do. He knows how Satan has entered him. And he says, what you do, do quickly. He's committed himself to follow through on what he came to do. Satan thinks that the death of Jesus will thwart the plan of God. But Satan does not know the whole story. Amen? He doesn't know the whole story. But Jesus does. Jesus knows that the cross is coming, and he also knows that the resurrection is coming. Jesus knows what we know today is that Jesus will win, and that Satan will be defeated. And Jesus lays down, therefore, his life willingly, and he is in control. And then back in verse 19, again, he says, And I tell you this, that somebody's going to lift their hill against me before, before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. He's saying, look, you need to know that this is going to happen so that after the fact, you can look back and know that I am he. And that word there, I am he, is the same word we found earlier in the scripture where he uses the I am, the holy I am, that you will know that I am, that he is God. This is going to happen, but you're going to know after the fact that I am God, that I am who I say I am. So the radical win is going to take place. Jesus wins. Amen? I mean, that's, that's, that's worthy of a real good amen right there. Jesus wins. Amen? And Satan loses. Amen? But so does Judas. Right? Judas loses. Judas was still responsible for his actions. And we don't really know why Judas allowed Satan to use him. But Jesus was reaching out to Judas to him, to turn to him. And the Bible tells us there that Jesus was troubled in spirit, and he was troubled here, close to the cross, not for himself, but for another. Troubled specifically here for the one who would deliver him to death. And so Jesus is reaching out to Judas. This is love's last appeal, where he still loves him, and he gives him this seat of honor here. He's likely to the left hand of Jesus. If John is to the right hand of Jesus, Judas is on the left-hand side of Jesus, and so he's probably the, possibly first to receive the food, which is a sign of honor. And the bread dipped and given to him by the, the, the guest of honor is a sign of friendship. So Jesus is, has given him the seat of honor and shown him this sign of friendship. He's reaching out to him. It's love's last appeal. But what we know, of course, is that Judas chose to reject who Jesus is. And we come to verse 30, and it says, Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Well, what, what a sad tale that is, that it was night. It really tells about what's happening in Judas's life and that it was night and that he was living in darkness. And he would continue to be in darkness. And, beloved, he is still in darkness as he is in a place called hell even today. The question for us is, are we in darkness? Or do we know this radical wind that Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary? And do we believe in him to be who he says he is? And so we see this radical wind. And the second thing we see here is the radical way. 
And so once Judas left the upper room, and of course, we, they don't really know what he's doing. The disciples really don't know what Judas is doing there. But once he left the room, the stage was set for the plan to be accomplished. And Jesus says in verse 31, the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. And so he knows that the cross and the resurrection is about to happen. It's literally, as we've said before, it's just hours away from the cross now in the upper room. And so the disciples, what they had known for three years, and they don't really have a picture as to what Jesus is talking about yet. They don't really have a good idea. But what the disciples had known for three years is about to come to an end. And think about these disciples for three years. They had invested every moment. They had invested every muscle. They had invested every movement in following Jesus. They had heard him teach. They had eaten with him. They had seen the miraculous. They had seen the unbelievable. And now that's all about to change. And so Jesus says in verse 33, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going... You cannot come. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And so what Jesus is saying to them is, I'm leaving. So if you're one of the disciples, and just put yourself in their place, okay? If you're one of the disciples, and you have been with Jesus for three years, you've been together day and night, day and night for three years, following him, putting all of your effort into him, thinking about learning from him, watching him, and Jesus says, I'm leaving. If you're a disciple, what's racing through your mind right now? Wait, 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 what, what? You're leaving. What does that, if you're going, what does that mean for us? And, and where, where are we going to go? And what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go with you? Are we supposed to be here? What, what is it? And so if you would be thinking that, that's exactly what the disciples would be thinking too as they hear this. What do I do? And so what Jesus does here is he begins this word about telling them of his leaving with the word of real intimacy and love and compassion and fondness for his disciples where he says little children. It's the only place where Jesus addresses them as little children. He cares about these disciples. What a shepherd who cares about his sheep. What, what a teacher who cares about his disciples. What a savior who cares about his people. And then we see what he says next in verse 34 and 35 because that's the radical way that we're talking about. And we've already seen what Jesus did at the supper. Last week, remember, we talked about, you know, how he stooped, the Son of God stooped and washed the dirty feet of all these disciples, even as he's the King, the Messiah, and the Lord. We've already seen his unconditional love for these whom he knows will deny him, who will betray him, who are going to run. And so he, now he tells them a new radical way that they need to know. Now, when people, you know this, that when people are about to leave on, for a very long time, maybe those who are about to pass away or those who are going on a long journey, those last words are often things that are thought about over and over again. We think about what was the last thing that they said before they left. They'll be remembered. Those words are invaluable. And in these words, what Jesus is doing is he's setting in motion this new way, and it is radical. It is a radical love. And there's two things that I think we see here in verse 34 and 35 about this radical way is that it's a love, first off, it's a love that is demonstrated. A love that's demonstrated. So look at verse 34. And he says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. To love is not new. Now, as he tells them this, to love is 
To love one another is not new because it was mandated in the Mosaic law. They had heard this in the Old Testament. They knew this in their scripture, that they were to love each other. As a matter of fact, in Leviticus 19, verse 17 and 18, it says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. But Jesus says this is a new commandment. And so what's so new about it? Well, it's a new because while it's difficult to love your neighbor as yourself, it is even more difficult to love others as Christ loves them. I mean, we think about the kind of Christ love, what kind of love Christ has. And it's new also because God has shown us by his example how this love is to be done and that it can be done through him. So this, this new love that he, he's talking about, this radical way, is a new kind of love because of the love of Christ. Y'all with me this morning? It, this, this radical way is a, a new kind of love because of the love of Christ. It's, it's a love based on his sacrificial love for them. It's a love, listen, it's a love that stands up and it's a love that stands out. Even when that kind of that love is shoved or when that love is pushed or when that love is kicked or, or when a heel is lifted against it. It's a love where Jesus is glorified in it. It's the love of Jesus. That's what Jesus says here. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, as I have demonstrated to you that you also love one another. It's the love of Jesus that was demonstrated to these disciples as he washed their feet. It was the love of Jesus demonstrated as he loves the unlovable. It's the love of Jesus demonstrated as he loved you and died on the cross for you. That kind of love is what he's talking about. This kind of love that is a sacrificial love. It's an unconditional love. It's a gracious love. It's a radical love. A radical way. And this radical love, this new commandment is a love that's demonstrated by Jesus. But also, not only is it a love that's demonstrated, it's also a love that's distinguishable. It's a love that's distinguishable. And look what he says in verse 35. Let's back up again and say 34 again. New commandment, Jesus says, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so this love that Jesus is talking about, this love that's demonstrated by him, this love that's the unconditional, the sacrificial, the gracious kind of love, is to distinguish us as believers from everybody else in the world. Y'all got that? Amen? This is what distinguishes Christians from the rest of the people. So it's a distinguishing mark that you know that these people are Christians because they have the love of Jesus and they love each other well. That's what he's talking about here. I'm not sure I understand this distinguishing mark. Well, let me help you with that. So if you're having a conversation with somebody and you say to them, thank you, and they respond to you and you say thank you by saying, my pleasure, you're going to know something about them. You're going to say I believe they work at Chick-fil-A, right? Right? I mean, it's a distinguishing mark. Both of my girls still at home, whenever we say thank you around the house, they both work for Chick-fil-A, and they say, my pleasure. So that away, girl, you go. Got to nail that down. Make sure you've got that. 
But then also, if you're at home, and a stranger's walking towards your house, but, but they're driving a big brown square truck wearing a brown uniform, what are you thinking? UPS. It's a distinguishing mark, right? For the Christian, it's not what you wear or how you smell or which car you drive or where you go to school or if you like spicy or original, all right? None of that distinguishes us from the rest of the world. For the Christian, it is that you will have love for one another, the love of Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying should distinguish you from the rest of the world, is that you have this love for fellow believers, love for each other. Y'all remember last summer, uh, Samuel Daigle from Quebec was here as one of our interns, and he was here the past few weeks uh, visiting as well, spending some time with different folks here in the church. And when he was on his way down, his car broke down. And uh, so when he finally got here to the church, uh, there were d several people in the church who housed him, for one thing, but also got him to a good, good mechanic and took his vehicle from point A to point B and helped him along the way for a couple of weeks while he was here. And he left this past Monday to head back up to Quebec. And, and as he was leaving, he said, I cannot wait to get back to Quebec and tell my non-Christian friends about how my fellow believers have loved on me and helped me. Because every time I tell them about what my... Christian friends have done, they're in awe that people would act that way. That's pretty good, amen? That's what Jesus is talking about. That as believers in him, disciples of Jesus, followers of the Lord, that there's something that distinguishes us from the rest of the world, and that is that we love one another. And we need to understand that this love is to be your distinguishing mark as a believer. We tend to look at this verse and think about all the believers are to be this way, and that's true. But we have to bring that in individually to us individually to see that this is to be your distinguishing mark as a believer because each one of us individually makes up the church as a whole, right? Amen? So if we're, not, if we're all not doing this, then we, it doesn't show in the church. We all must be those who are distinguishing ourselves as believers by loving each other. Understand that this is not an ideal that is to be grasped. It is the reality that is to be practiced. It's not a sweet goal, for just a sweet goal for, that's set before us. No, it is to be the characteristic of every follower of Jesus. It's not an objective to be obtained. It is the life in which it is to be lived. Amen? That's what Jesus is saying. This love that I have for you, just show them as he stooped down and washed their feet, no matter who they are, knowing what they're going to do and how they're going to act, and they're going to run, they're going to betray, they're going to deny, but yet he loves them anyway. And knowing what he did for us on the cross of Calvary, this kind of gracious, unconditional, sacrificial love is the love that is to be in us individually as believers in Jesus, loving one another. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, John, the writer of the gospel, is also the writer of these, these letters. And he, he dwells in love. And he says here in John, 1 John 3, verse 14 through 16, he says, We know, now watch this, I, I just want you to think about this. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. We know that we belong to Jesus. I know in my heart that I have no worries about me, me being unsure about my salvation. I know I'm saved. Well, how do you know that? Because God has given it to me to be able to love the brethren. 
You mean you love those people that are hard to love? I'm telling you, it's not always easy to do that, but the Lord is able to do that, right? He is able to help you to love, even those who are hard to love. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. That whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abide in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Wow. Now that's pretty radical, isn't it? We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. My, my, my. You know, today we have a hard time just laying down an afternoon. Right? Bible says no. We're taught we're to lay down our lives for the brethren. But preacher, that, that's impossible. Pastor, that's just unattainable. It's not natural for us to love people that way. You're correct, it's not, but it's supernatural. Because, so you see, we are able to live this out, this new commandment that Jesus has given us. We're able to live this out because of what Jesus did on the cross, that he died, he rose again, and then sent his spirit who dwells within us. And because of that spirit who dwells within us that comes from where Jesus died on the cross for us, we now have this spiritual union among us as disciples. There's something that now that unites us in Jesus. And we're able to love each other. 1 John 4, 10-13 says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins or the atoning sacrifice. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected or brought to completion or full maturity in us. And by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He's given us of His Spirit. And so what the Bible teaches us what Jesus has said to us is that we are to love one another the way he has loved us. And that that's going to be a characteristic of who we are that's a distinguishing mark to the rest of the world. And so we are to love proactively. We're to love sharing. We're to love serving. We're to love caring and love doing without thinking, okay, I'm doing this for you. Now what are you going to do for me? Or, I, or thinking, oh, I did this. Now I'm expecting you to do something for me. No. No, that's not the Christ-like love. It's an unconditional, sacrificial, gracious love. Okay, preacher, pastor, but, but I hear that, but what, what about my past hurts? What about those things that have caused me pain? Because there have been times in the past when people in the church, people who claim to be believers, who have said things about me. There have been things that have happened in the church where people have said things and it has hurt me to the core. There have been other Christians, Pastor, who have snubbed me or who have hurt me. What about those disagreements that we had? You know, Pastor, I, I hear what you're saying. I know what Jesus says, but I just don't know that I can love them. So maybe that's somebody here. Maybe that's somebody here. Or maybe something's happened in this church, in your heart, in your life. And there are people who've said things, and you just see them coming, and you... Go to the other side of the building. I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to have conversations because it's painful. It's been a long time ago, but I don't have to deal with it. And so you've refused to love like Jesus has taught you to love. And so what you would be saying then is, I want all of the love that Jesus will give to me, but I will not give that love to certain people. And beloved, if that's you, 
you need to know this. You cannot have it both ways. You cannot have it both ways. If you, listen, if you are a disciple of Jesus, born again, washed and cleansed of your sins, and you've been forgiven, and you are his child, then you have, listen, you have the ability by the Spirit of God who lives within you to love like Jesus. And if you refuse to love one another like Jesus, then you need to know that you are choosing to disobey him. And by disobeying him, you have sin in your life that is standing in the way of your fellowship with him. And basically, you are saying to Jesus that what he did on the cross for you really is not important and that has no real effect on you. And it's almost like you're lifting your heel against Jesus. And if that is you, beloved, I would ask, do you really belong to him? You see, within the church, if we are to love one another as Jesus loved us, then that would include this, that we must reach out in reconciliation and reach out in love and reach out in forgiveness to those who are wronging us or who have wronged us and even also those that we have wronged. To reach out in reconciliation, love, and forgiveness. And when that's done, when the people are reconciled and there's love and forgiveness, it becomes a convincing argument for the gospel to a world that is watching. Amen? Don't you know that the world loves to see the church fight? Man, they love it. But when they see a church that is loving one another as Jesus has taught us. Jesus says, that's a distinguishing mark that you belong to me. I praise God for Mount Pleasant. I know there's a lot of love for each other here. And I don't have any idea about your past. I know some things, but not all things. But I know that everyone at some point probably in their life has been hurt by somebody. As believers in Jesus, we must be faithful to him and love unconditionally, and reach out in reconciliation. Amen? Y'all with me? That's how we're to live. It'd be a distinguishing mark. You know, when you think about how to do that, how, how do I love one another? How do we do that in a church setting? As you, have to go, you have to look at Peter again and remember what Peter is seeing. He saw... Ultimately, what Judas would do, he, he betrayed the Lord, and, and Peter knew that eventually. And then Peter also, he sees the love of Jesus. And then Peter writes in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 9, just listen to what Peter says. And, and remember the impetuous Peter, who, who always was sticking his foot in his mouth. You know, he's always ready to chop somebody's ear off, right? That's the Peter we're talking about here. And Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, verse 7 and following. He says, but the end of all things is his hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And so we're, able, we're enabled by the Lord to love as he taught us to love, but we have a word from the scripture in Peter's letter here. 
that when sometimes it is difficult, when we're going through disagreements or problems or whatever it may be, Peter says, here's how to do that. Here's how to love. Here's the word of God. That the Lord is coming. We're going to see him one day. The end of all things at hand. This world is not going to last. Amen? This world is not going to last. And we're going to see Jesus one day. That's what really matters. Amen? We're going to see Jesus. And we're going to be held accountable for our actions and our, our attitudes and what we did and how we lived our lives. And he says, so see that and pray. 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 And then love unconditionally. He says, have a fervent love, which means an earnest, intense, without ceasing love uh, for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. He says, that means to be gracious toward others. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Think the best in others. Remember, we talked about that last week. Think the best in others and lower yourself. Get over yourself. Can we just be transparent? We need to get over ourselves sometimes. And begin to place others above ourselves and quit throwing ourselves a pity party. He says to do this, to be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Because here's the thing. Jesus is our radical king who taught us a radical way in which we're to live our lives. And he's the victor with this radical win. He has the authority, he has the right, and he gave us the example, and he gives us the power for us to live this radical way. So love one another as he has loved us. Now, I'm about out of time, but I want to give you the last, last point, which is this, a radical work. And I'll just tell you this about these last, last few words here, is that Peter, Peter is the work. We look here what Jesus has just said, and Peter said, Peter had, it, you wonder if Peter even heard what Jesus said in verse 34 and 35, because, wait, wait, Lord, where are you going? And then Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Well, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus says, look, will you really lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And so, Peter, we know what's going to happen here, and so, that must have been devastating for Peter. Surely, Jesus, you must be mistaken. But we know that Jesus is never wrong. He never has been wrong. He never will be wrong. And so what we find here is that Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you're still a work in progress. And that things will move forward because Jesus is not finished working yet. He's still going to use Peter even though he knows of Peter's denial. So where do you see that, Pastor? Well, we see Jesus has told him in verse 38 that the, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. But then if you back up into verse 36, Jesus said this to him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. So Jesus says to Peter, you can't follow me now, whether that's to the Father, or you can't follow me now, whether that's to the cross, or you can't follow me now to fulfill this, this purpose but you will follow me afterward. So in other words, he's, gonna, he's saying, Peter, I will still use you. You will follow me. You will be where I am. And then if you look at the end of the, the gospel in chapter 21, we know that Peter is restored after Jesus' resurrection where Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I do. You know, yes, Lord, you know I do. And then he says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. Beloved, when we think about this radical work, we have to say praise the Lord that he's still working on people. Amen? And he still uses people who are sinners. He still uses people who have given their heart to him and follow him. And so the, the thing for us to understand is this, is that no matter how far you have gone, 
or no matter how far someone else who's a believer has gone, no matter how far your child has gone, no matter how far your grandchildren have gone away from the Lord, that if they will come back to Jesus, he can still use them and he can still use you. Amen? He is still a radical king who has a radical win, who taught us a radical way, who still does a radical work. Praise the Lord. Amen? Two things to do. Number one is bow before this radical king. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, bow before him today because he is the king. Give your heart to him in complete surrender and trust him with your life. Turning from sin, turning to Jesus. Believing he died on the cross for you and rose again and is coming again. Believe he is the Lord. Profess him as the Lord of your life. And then secondly is check your ID. Check your ID. Now, you have to check your ID if you go to the airport or sometimes if you write a check. I don't know if anybody writes a check anymore, but some people do. If you write a check, you have to give an ID, right? Sometimes when you give your credit card, you have to give. But check your ID. So what's your ID? Your ID is who you identify as. Do you identify as a believer in Jesus because of your love for one another? Are you loving others as Jesus taught you to love? Check your ID. Do you identify as a follower of Jesus? If so, then you will have this love for one another. So along those lines, then, do you need to seek forgiveness from someone? Do you need to be reconciled with someone? Let me just ask you this question. Hasn't the hanging bitterness and that ill feeling gone on long enough? If you have some unfinished business in the eyes of the Lord, then live out this radical way of life that Jesus has taught us and hold back no longer and turn to Jesus and be reconciled to love as Jesus has taught us to love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we come to this invitation that you would deal with our hearts to surrender our very lives to you, to surrender our hearts to you, to surrender how we act, how we think, and how we love that you have enabled us to, to live this radical way. So, Lord, may you have your way in every heart and in every life today. May you guide us, may you direct us and lead us, Lord, to make decisions of commitment not only with you, but also with each other. If there, if there are any uh, situations where we need to ask you to, to step in and cause us to be reconciled, whether that's a church member or a fellow believer in another church, another pastor somewhere, or even here, Lord, in, in, with our families, with a spouse or with a child or a grandchild, whatever it may be, that we would show the love of Jesus that you have enabled us to live and to love and be a distinguishing mark that people would know that we belong to you the radical king. Have your way, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to come for whatever reason...